Andrew Applebaum. My guest today is Christine Hubbard from Beck Taxi, whose iconic orange and green taxi cabs have been driving Toronto streets for over 50 years. Jim Beck founded the company in 1967. Today, our guest Christine, Jim's granddaughter, together with her mother, Gail Beck Souter, carry on the company tradition. In addition to her operations manager role at Beck, Christine is also a self-described married soccer mom of two. <laughs> Thus, she literally is a taxi mom, both at work and at home, 24-7-365. Welcome, Christine, to Toronto Legends. Thank you for joining me. Where are you and how are you? Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. Appreciate it. Um, I'm in the city of Toronto at our Beck Taxi offices in my office, and uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. What do you do at Beck Taxi and what is currently taking up your mental bandwidth? Well, uh, the list is long. I think, you know, anyone who works in family business knows they're, they're, you don't really have a job description. Anything from, you know, the biggest contracts to marketing to training staff to answering the phones and, you know, changing out the toilet paper in the washroom. It could be any of those things. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, have you driven a cab yourself? I have driven a taxi, actually. It was, it was for a show called um, Undercover Boss Canada. We did that. Uh, so that was, you know, and I had to pick up a fare and, you know, the, you know, I have my taxi driver's license or had it at the time. And uh, it's not an easy job. And that's something I will say. It's, it's the job I don't do here. And it's one that the people who, you know, participate in that are, I'm in awe of their patience and, and professionalism, I got to tell you, especially these days. Well, good for you, because they, they say that if you want to be a good leader, you got to get down in the trenches and actually do it yourself. So that must have been quite an experience. It was quite an experience. And I do, I'm, you know, I'm very lucky. We are still kind of a, a smaller family owned business. At least that's how we, we view ourselves. And I get the opportunity every morning to speak to drivers through our um, radios, actually, we have a dispatch radio that, you know, has taken on a different role than it did in traditional times. When my grandfather started, for example, it's now more information and discussion and updates. And I get to receive feedback from drivers and we get to sort of, you know, share our stories. And it's, it's actually a really, it's my favorite time of the day. It's a, uh, it's good, better than me sitting in an office, staring at your computer. You actually are interacting with people all the time. That's right. Yeah. Everything that, um, you know, all of our uh, operation is in one location. Uh, the dispatch and call center, of course, is sort of the, the heart of the entire business. And so it's really important to, you know, be available to everyone who's working their staff inside and, and drivers uh, outside. And, you know, they've all got my email address, too, and they all have a direct line, whether it's on the radio or my, my phone number. It's 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 a great it's a, it's a great job. I absolutely love it. And it, it gets in your blood and I, it's definitely in mine for sure. Well, well, we can see that. I can see your passion already. And on that note, with, with your permission, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning and capture your origin story. Christine, where were you born? And, and please describe your upbringing. 
So I was born in the city of Toronto at East General, now Michael Guerin Hospital. Yes. And yes, at that time, um, uh, my mom was working with Beck. We, you know, she moved away for a little while. She and her dad, my grandfather, didn't always see eye to eye. She had started working uh, in the business when she was a teenager. Um, we did some moving around before, and that, up until I was about 13, uh, we lived in Sarnia, Ontario, where she ran a children's clothing store. So, you know, of course, I was walking the catwalk in the mall <laughs> fashion <laughs> shows. But uh, then we moved back when her father passed, actually, when my grandfather passed away. That was a big move. And I was 15 when I started working at Beck. I had begged my parents to let me um, get a job and that I'd be a great call taker and beg them to practice with me at the dinner table. I said, hi, Beck Taxi, how can I help you? And, um, you know, instantly regretted it as soon as I had a job at 15. Uh -oh. But <laughs> uh -oh. I, yeah, you, you yeah. had me all excited, Christine. My 15-year-old, you should see our discussions now. It's to, to even suggest getting a job for any benefit beside the dollar. It's ridiculous. And so you had yeah. me all excited, but now you're telling me once you actually got in there, you immediately said, yeah. what am I doing? Well, once I was in there, yeah, it was okay. I, you know, I had other jobs through my teenage years as well because the shifts were eight hours. So it was, you know, it's a long shift when you're in high school. And, you know, I think as a kid, it's important to, to get some other experience. I worked at Shoppers Drug Mart, for example, for a little while and, um, you know, it's, a, it's an eye-opening experience, but it wasn't the job actually that had me upset. It was the hours, you know, I was 7 a.m., you know, almost ready to cry in my cereal. <laughs> you know, all my friends were sleeping in, but um, once I got started, you know, obviously as, as a kid and you're bringing in some money and, you know, starting to learn the business and I got the opportunity to see um, my mom at work literally and it was um, really, really fantastic actually. She's definitely my complete role model. And um, yeah, it was just, it was a lot of fun. And I, I'll never forget, I think it was my first day, my dad was here as well. And I got a phone call for him. And it's, I said, okay, you know, dad, line, or no, I, it was my mom's, a call came in for her from, for her first. And I said, Gail line one. And she ran out and goes, I'm your mother. And so I said, mom, line one, okay. And then a call came in for him. I said, dad, line two. He ran out, my name's Don. So, you know, th there's definitely a learning curve that you don't expect, um, again, when you're working in a family business. But yeah, I, I've, from that point, kind of learned how to do every job and went to university. I went to Western. My plan was to become a lawyer. I thought I'll have this great client. Um, but no, I just ended up, staying with the business and 30 years later here I am well I, I think that's uh, really interesting the dynamic of the family business in, in one office you got one person you're calling dad and that's no good yeah. and one person you're calling by her name <laughs> now I want to be mom yeah. listen that's Christine right. you you went to you jumped over something you were in Toronto for high school is that correct where'd you go to high school that's right I went to Don Mills Collegiate all right yeah not far from where our office is now and what did you do at Western uh, I went through, I got my honors history degree. And again, my plan was to go through uh, to law school and I wrote the LSAT. Okay. But yeah, when I had, I, and I also actually, I started out at York because I wanted to stay close to home, but I found myself and, you know, my mom would have killed me at the time. If I 
couldn't get to class on time, I would show up at Back to Taxi saying that my class was canceled and, Mm -hmm. you know, did they need me to work? So it was too close, you know, to, you know, I was not, I was not doing the work I was supposed to be doing. So I transferred over to Western. Um, But yeah, in the end, I just, you know, and I, I did that and I graduated, but the idea of not being here all the time, actually, for better or worse was, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't imagine it. Yeah, but it was nice to get a break, as you say, away, clears your head a little and gives you some different perspective. I want to ask you about interesting summer jobs, but something tells me all your summer jobs were at Beck. Well, while I was at Western, so what I would do, I had a job at the Second Cup. Okay. Uh, I did work there and, you know, I won't tell you the story, but the exploding whipped cream container that covered the entire story. Well, come on. We, we, (laughs) I, I'm pretty much a a rookie at this, but even I know when someone says, I can't tell you this, that I have to ask for that. Well, (laughs) if someone was in the store too, these, which I think now are highly dangerous contraptions, but Mm. uh, a a whipped cream container, they were steel and you'd put the, I guess it's a nitro, sort of pod in there and it would expand all of the whipped cream. And I guess I just didn't have the lid on quite tight enough. And uh, there was a customer in the store who I ran into later on that evening unexpectedly. And she had been covered in whipped cream. <laughs> it was horrible. It wasn't my last day though. They kept me on. So that was good. <laughs> there's, there's worse things to be covered in. So that, that right. maybe was, and was that, was that location in Toronto or was that in London? That was in London. So while I was uh, at Western, I was working there, but I'd also drive home uh, weekends and work Friday afternoon, sort of night shift. Then I'd come back in Saturday morning shift. And then I'd go out with my friends in Toronto at night on Saturday nights and drive back to London on Sunday. Fabulous. We couldn't, couldn't keep you away from Toronto. No. And today, when you fast forward, if you don't mind telling us, what, where, where do you live with your family? What kind of neighborhood and what, what's your family makeup today? So I've got two daughters. They're 15 and 17 years old, both in high school. Yeah, yeah. So, and both play, as you said, competitive soccer. So that takes up about six days a week of our time. I was going to say eight days a week, probably. That's right. Well, we do, right now we get Fridays off. So that's nice. Good. (laughs) So, yeah, but um, you're right. I, I spend my evenings, you know, driving them around. And, you know, very often my husband's going one direction and I'm going the other. Um, we do have some advantages with carpools, but, um, (laughs) you know, only recently now with COVID, right. It was sort of, you know, you weren't really carpooling anyone. And so we were all over the place, but, um, very happy that soccer's back sort of, you know, back to normal as much as we can say that, but, uh, my husband's, yeah, my husband's a firefighter, which presents its own challenges. He works 24 hour shifts. Okay. And uh, we live not far from my office. I'm not going to say exactly where, but, um, you know, I'm a quick, I'm a, I'm a five minute trip to get you, to, to this office. That's good. You can't underestimate the value of, of a short commute. That's right. And you can't underestimate the value of a handy husband so that you can buy a house <laughs> where you need to be. and He can do all the work. <laughs> These are all good things. These are all good things. Yeah. Let's talk yeah. about Beck Taxi. Where now you talked a little about Don Mills and Eglinton. Is the is the whole facility Don Mills and Eglinton? I'm picturing this huge field with Beck orange and green cabs lined up in a grid as far as the eye can see. Are all the company functions run out of this office? So all of the company functions are run out of this office, but a misconception that uh, is out there is that we own the vehicles. We do not own any taxis. 
So our head office is actually just east of Don Mills in Eglinton. So we're closer to Victoria Park, I suppose. Um, but yeah, we all of our sort of dispatch and administrative work uh, is done here. And the drivers, nine times out of 10, when you get into a taxi, the person who's driving that vehicle is a small business owner mm. uh, who owns his or her taxi and subscribes to us basically for marketing and dispatch services. Gotcha. And I, I, we're going to come back to that, but just when we get back to the company history, I love your slogan, which is a nice twist on the, the TTC's the better way. Your Beck slogan is the better way since 1967. Talk about your grandfather, Jim. I, I'm not sure when he passed and how much time you had with him directly. Why don't you talk about how he founded Beck? So he actually was a taxi driver when my mom was was young. And um, he had then started to build a fleet of taxis so that he would rent out vehicles to other people. But they were in a taxi company that you might know called Diamond Taxi at the time. Um, One day he was ordering a taxi and realized, you know, maybe it took too long. I'm not sure exactly how it went, but I could do this better. That was his sort of, you know, defining moment when it came to starting Beck Taxi. You know, we could do a better job of this. And that's when he, you know, took his taxis out of the other company and founded Beck. And, um, yeah, it was a little East End in the beaches, 25 cars, I think, to start. And he was a very, I mean, he he passed when I was quite young. I was, uh, I think, I, I you know, I might have been. 11 or 12 and you know and I may not get the numbers exactly right but um he was a huge personality he was a huge a very you know and and you know big love but big anger <laughs> too so okay. very very strict you know quite a bit of a hothead completely opposite of of my of my mother actually but um this is probably what led to a lot of their you know she left for a while. It was just a very volatile place. And I think, you know, you hear what people think of the taxi industry. Um, You know, people come to our office and are surprised. They think we're in, we're going to be in the trailer of someone else's parking lot. Right. So, you know, there's the idea of the taxi, you know, the, the TV show, um, you know, where it's kind of rough and, you know, in a garage and dealing with the cars and a gas station and all that. And that's how it was. But he, you know, literally, if a taxi driver went, you know, went out of maybe to the airport from the east end or the beaches, if they didn't come right back, they were no longer allowed to work, right? Mm-hmm. Like he was, one day, I think there were a few dispatchers, he fired them all uh, because, you know, he, they did or said something he didn't like. So it's a, it's a, it's a lot, when I think about what it must have been like to work here with him, it's, it's exactly what people think or you know it's the it's the the concept that people have of of the taxi business and so you know we we have we're far removed from that now he ran a tight ship yes <laughs> at well, least he ran a tight ship yeah christine why are the beck taxis orange and green and maybe you want to comment on the importance of of branding so he came up with the orange and green color scheme because he you know, I wish there was more to this story, but it just wanted to have a color combination that people would see from miles away. He, his, you know, idea was 
he wanted people to be able to see from as far down the road as possible that their Beck taxi was coming or that they could, you know, hail this taxi. Um, you know, I've got red hair, so people think it has something to do with us being Irish or what. So I just go, oh, yeah, sure, that sounds great too. But it's just because it was a unique color combination. And, you know, it is, it stands out, uh, you know, it stands out. It, it absolutely does. And it's it's become a very recognizable combination in, in the city, obviously, and still is. In fact, it's so recognizable. I wondered if you had requests from taxi companies outside of Toronto to be, let's call them franchisees of the Beck brand. Has that ever come up and is that something you've ever considered? So we've had uh, mayors actually of, of, of GTA cities have asked if we would come to, uh, you know, dispatch in their areas, but we have enough problems with the municipality here in Toronto. <laughs> We're not trying to take on any others. Um, but outside, you know, it, it is a very local company. So when you're from here and you see Beck Taxi, you may think it's it's something that's, you know, widely known. But in any other city or in any other country, um, you know, it, it's it's people don't realize. And that's why you'll get still um, TV shows maybe that are supposed to be set in New York. And you'll see the Beck Taxi in there. Well, if you're not from Toronto, you have no idea what you're yeah. looking at, right? But everybody in Toronto, I'll see it all the time. Oh, look at that. They're trying to make this look like someone. We could see the back taxi. Yeah. It's so, a giveaway. It's a giveaway. It's an absolute giveaway. Have you ever considered an extension into water taxis? Is there a back water taxi? Um, no, I can't even imagine what would be involved. Again, you know, we are a very highly regulated business. And, and you did ask me what is sort of my head wrapped around the most or what is maybe my biggest headache. And I may have just changed the wording to to be to reflect headache but our city our regulator is absolutely so difficult to to work with there's absolutely no collaborative work that goes on and and the idea of even thinking about getting involved in any other kind of license or any other kind of um regulatory industry or regulated industry i'm i'm absolutely all the way out all the way up you got enough on your plate as it is yeah yeah Christine, talk about the Beck app. What is the Beck app? And I, I assume this is something relatively brand new. So the Beck app actually was introduced in 2012, the first version Whoa. of the Beck Taxi app. That's yeah. 10 years ago. Right. That's right. So we uh, actually, it was my first, and I can't, uh, you know, I'm not even sure what to say about this, but there was a taxi livery uh, association. Um, it was called TLPA. And every year they had, um, it was an international convention, but mostly heavily attended in the United States by American, you know, uh, industry members. But I went to the first one uh, that I had been, not invited to, but since I'd become a member, it was 2011 and it was being held in San Francisco. And when we got there, my husband was with me because he has, you know, done some work with us over the years. Uh, we went together and I, I remember on the one hand coming in one year, it was people talking about radio dispatching. How do you get cab drivers to listen to you? And I was kind of like, what do, come on. I looked out the window of this conference center and I could see all these private cars picking people up. Mm. And I was like, Hey everybody, are we looking over here? <laughs> you know, these cars, they're not taxis. And you see that they're picking like, maybe there's going to be a panel discussion. on this. Wow. And it was funny because a friend of mine, who I worked really closely with for a long time. She had said before, we're like, yeah, we got to get you an app. That taxi needs an app. 
oh, okay, I'm tired. Like when I get back, we'll talk about it. What was the first thing we did? As soon as I got back from that conference in late 2011, it was, we need an app and it doesn't need to do more than replace a phone call to start. We'll see what the uptake is, but the way we saw what was happening in San Francisco with the introduction of Uber, we knew that they would come to Toronto and we needed to be ready. So we actually launched our uh, app, the simplest version of it, in, in 2012 before they arrived, just before. Hmm. Well, what, I had an interesting observation. With COVID, everyone's, of course, on Zoom meetings. And, and I think I'm hearing from a lot of people, well, now it's, why would I leave my house? I can talk to anyone. But if you had not gone to San Francisco, 10 years yeah. ago, I mean, and, and seeing this for yourself, what an amazing right. uh, proof that we got to continue to leave our house if we want to stay in touch. It's true. It's absolutely true. It was definitely, it was an alarming thing to see. I was very, and it actually, you know, it was an indicator of how a lot of industry members would react because no one was reacting that day. Mm-hmm. I, I, I felt like I was by myself going, hello. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so you know, and it's been, unfortunately, for a lot of traditional companies who did not recognize the importance of competing, um, you know, to their detriment. And, you know, it's, our our app has improved immensely since that time. It's used, you know, it's been downloaded by tens of thousands of people in this, in this city, a local, you know, we made it ourselves. I probably Mm -hmm. lost 10 years off my lifespan. We spent so much money because, it's not just an app. And I think that's the, that's the thing that needs to be made clear. We had drivers who were 60 and 70 years old. We were changing over our entire dispatch system. An app is kind of like, you know, the arm of everything else that we're doing. There was a huge, you know, dispatch central nervous system that had to be replaced. But we also had to keep in mind, unlike Uber or Lyft, for example, where it's, oh, we've got this technology sign up. We already had our drivers. We already had our customers. And the thing that I think technology, you know, puts people at risk of is being alienated by Mm -hmm. it. And we had to develop in stages. We couldn't just say your whole lives are changing. Everything you do is going to be different. You don't even maybe use any apps right now, but you're going to have to use this or you can't work. Well, Mm. that's not an option. So we really had to introduce it in phases really making sure that we were bringing people along with us. And I just, I just think that's so uh, important. And, and I, to your point about being on the ground in a business that you work in, understanding the people you're working with, understanding the end user. Um, I think that that helped in our, in our development, um, knowing that we had to make sure that everybody was going to be okay. What a transition on this. Pod, <laughs> I, and it continues, right? And it continues. Yeah. On this podcast, Christine, we love to go behind the scenes and see how the sausage gets made. How many Beck taxis are on the road on any given day? About 1,100 right now. So prior to the pandemic, we were working with a fleet of about 1,850 vehicles. Mm. Uh, When the pandemic hit and we were told that uh, we were an essential service, that was quite meaningless because if no one was going to be in their vehicles driving, then we have no one to serve. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We have no way to serve. So uh, when the pandemic hit, we saw probably 300, a reduction to 300 uh, from 1,850. And we've slowly built our way back. um, Like I said, to we've got 1,150 vehicles in our fleet. And I'd say at any given time, close to 1,100 on the road 
Wow. Between a thousand or 1100. And how many calls would that be per day? So we, um, we're doing probably about 14,000 a day. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, everybody's busy. So that's the good news. The problem with, the problem with, uh, you know, having our own software as an example is that, you know, we've lost that income from the 700 vehicles that are no longer in the fleet. But most important to us right now is that drivers are able to carry on. Um, and they have, so here we are. Yeah. But a thousand on the road at any given time. Is this in this, this 14,000 calls a day, I'm going to guess that's, that's uh, seasonal, like bad weather means more taxi rides or, or is it pretty smooth throughout a year? Um, definitely, uh, there are variables that affect, you know, our business. I'd say in the summer, during the day, things slow down a little bit. Um, you know, September comes around, October, November, things start to cool off and, and kids are back in school. We, we see that things get busier, obviously in a rainstorm or a snowstorm, you know, we see a spike in those, in those calls, but, um, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty steady. It's actually pretty steady. Obviously a Sunday is not as busy as a Friday and, but, um, you know, subway, the subway's going down or parades or, you know, all kinds of things can, can impact uh, how, how busy we are. Well, I'm going to impress you, Christina. I got some of the lingo now, I think. I think it's street hails versus call-ins. And uh, presumably with, with smartphones, I'm going to assume the street hail is going the way of the dodo. What's the mix between the street hails and the call-ins and how has that changed over time? So the street hail is actually making a comeback in a big oh. way. Oh. So what, what we're news. finding, <laughs> yeah. well, and we actually developed a feature in our app that allows people to, because here's the problem. If you're standing on the street and there's a taxi in front of you, why are you going to order a Beck taxi, for example, or why are you going to order some other service? What we've developed in our app is the ability for someone to, activate the app when they're in a Beck. So you have the choice. You can order a Beck or you're in a Beck, which means you can now connect the app to the driver who you hailed and go through that process of the um, contactless payment and what have you. So, um, you know, while we saw when Uber and Lyft first came, because they suggested that what they were doing was hailing, street hailing, when in fact we all know they were ordering the same way you would order through our app. Um, but we're seeing those street hills coming back because, you know, there are price issues now. We know that uh, Uber and Lyft can be as or more expensive than a taxi now. Um, and just the convenience of, of of a car being there when you need it, right? Why would you order if there's one there already? And I'm, I'm going to presume this is an adjustment you had to make on the fly. This wasn't what your app initially had a functionality for. That's right. So, you know, one thing that I've learned with software, it's never done, <laughs> yeah. never, ever done, you know, between the maintenance, you know, of it and, and requirements through whether it's app store or, or Google play, we have to constantly update newer versions, but features are really exciting. And what we found at the very beginning, you know, when we first launched, it was something to talk about, right? It is a marketing tool. So we have, we invest in this software, we invest in improvements, but we also, it gives us something new to talk about as well. Mm -hmm. Right. So, um, you know, there's definitely a couple of advantages of continuing to, to find ways that will make it 
better to use. Again, for the for when the pandemic hit, we introduced grocery and restaurant delivery, making it a lot easier and being able to figure out exactly how much it would cost uh, flat rate for, for delivery. And, and very often the restaurants were, were using it because they were avoiding the percentage fees through the, mm-hmm. you know, eats and skip and whatever um, delivery services and, and the taxi ride itself was much cheaper and they weren't paying anything on the, on the cost of the food. So, um, you know, we try to be as nimble as possible. We're lucky because, you know, that's an advantage of, of owning your own software, but it's also very expensive. Nimble is key here. Let's talk about how taxis work today. I call for a taxi. It shows up. I jump in. Seems graceful and simple. But I think mm-hmm. the swan analogy maybe is apt. Gracefully floating on top is the, of top of the water is the swan. But under the water, its legs are cycling furiously. How Operationally, how does your company operate? I understand there's call takers, dispatchers, drivers. How does everyone communicate with one another? So we still uh, very much believe in everyone being in the same place. Obviously, there were challenges during the pandemic for that. But I do do think that that everyone working together in a shared space really gives everyone around an idea of what other people are going through. And I think that, you know, lends itself to with our radios and being able to communicate closely with the drivers. Obviously, they can't be in this building. Um, You know, it is furiously, (laughs) you know, moving and it is nonstop and it's very exciting all the time. I have to say, I mean, it could be, you know, and it's not just it's not just sending a taxi to pick someone up. Often it's, Hey everyone, there's a child who's gone missing in the city. Keep an eye out. You know, this is what he's wearing. This is what he looks like. And there's been, you know, more than once that a Beck taxi driver has found missing people Mm. and the eruption in this office and the excitement and the, you know, there are so many scenarios, so many things that people wouldn't think that go into um, the, the day to day, but it's, you know, some of the best things happen and we're all together when it does. So the eyes are out and the ears are open at all times. That's right. Drivers today, are they using Waze, Google maps or their own experience? The, the folklore of course is that a good cabbie knows how to get from A to B faster than any app. How right. do your drivers today figure out how to get from A to B? So we have a mix. We, we have the drivers who, you know, like the back of their hand, they know this city and they're going to take you through Every side street that's going to get you ahead of of traffic and ahead of all the problems you might have otherwise encountered. But, you know, we are our apps and there's a driver app as well and the tablets that are in the vehicles. Um, We've gone back and forth between Google Maps and actually another provider called Here Maps. And some drivers have their preference. So they may have a, a GPS device that they like to use. So everyone kind of can do their own thing. I don't hear a lot about ways to be honest anymore, mm-hmm. um, which is interesting, but um, you know, I'd say it doesn't take long for drivers to really get used to the city because it's all they do. Right. Sure. How do you counsel your drivers? I guess is an etiquette question. I'm sure person X jumps in the cab and the driver starts going and the person says, no, no, take this road. What, yeah. what do you tell your driver? How do they react to that? Cause they probably know that. No, that's not the best way. So the rule is customer gets to pick the route and that's actually not only, um, you know, our advice, but it's in the bylaw. Oh, wow. So yes, if a customer has a preferred route, so generally the way we counsel drivers is to, do you have a preferred route? 
to avoid that, hey, 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 no, I want to go this other way. So, you know, most often it's no, just get me there fast. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, but it, it is a bit of, you know, it's important actually for them to say the same way, you know, do you like some music on or do you want me to open the windows? You know, but asking for a preferred route is 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 something that they should do to avoid those conflicts for sure. Wow. And, and the customer gets to choose. They're paying. Well, I always, I, I, in my past lives, Christine, I had a lot of uh, uh, customer exposure and I never liked, the customer is always right. I never, <laughs> I, I never liked it. What I've gone right. with is the customer is king. Right. They it's decide true. ultimately, right or wrong. Right. That's exactly it. And I, I agree with you. I don't think the customer is always right, but I also think that there's a way to, to um, find our way to making sure customers happy. And we're in a unique situation because taxi drivers are our customers and riders are our customers. So we have to, it's a bit of a balancing act, you know, we're providing service to both. So we have to, we have to really, you know, review how, how we do things. Now being a taxi driver might be the world's second oldest profession. When you got to a new city, the cabbie always knew where to go for the best ribs or the best sports bar or other hidden gems, both uh, legal and illegal. Have we lost this personal touch? You know, I don't think we've lost it. I do think things have changed. I mean, now, you know, just the, the, the simplest, you know, that, I, that I've seen is, is the shields that have been installed into vehicles during the pandemic. Um, they do plus masking, you know, obviously, which is exactly what everybody should be doing. But I, I do think there's been a, a little less communication. Uh, I also think that um, so much has changed in this city, too. It's almost impossible to to know if the place you loved, the great place that you used to go to all the time is even still there. Um, I, d- I don't think that gift or that, that sort of advantage is lost. But I, I do think that it's going to take some time to get back to where we were before. Are there men and women drivers? Certainly men and women, but very much the majority are men. And okay. um, yeah, and I, I actually will say that after the pandemic, I, I have probably seen back one of our female drivers. Okay. And so it's, it's, it's definitely a job that, that men see as something that, they can do where uh, for a woman, you know, obviously there's risks involved, but it's just not often seen as, as, as an option for women when they do drive. Um, they realize, Oh, what, what was I doing before? But mm. it's still just not, not widely seen as something that a woman would do. Is this a part-time or a full-time occupation these days? I'm talking about the driver. Mm-hmm. You got, I can, I, I can picture young university students making some scratch on the side part-time and then these older career drivers, what kind of occupation is this today? So it's definitely more of a full-time uh, job these days. Like I said, most drivers who uh, you would encounter now own the vehicle. Um, it's a lot harder to sort of the entry level to attract those those new people who might just want to work part-time because we've seen that the fleet garage, which is what my grandfather started with, mm-hmm. um, where someone who gets their license can go and rent a cab and see if it's for them. It's sort of, that's how you start. Uh, it's harder and harder to access those rental uh, vehicles, mostly because of the insurance crisis that we're facing right now, which so many businesses are, but, um, you know, that's that's another conversation. So, you know, I think I said something about the municipality. It's also the provincial government that's making our lives a little more difficult than it should be. <laughs> two, two overlords. 
Yeah. Does, does a certain ethnic group dominate taxi driving today? I understand that amongst your team alone, you've got 90 different languages being spoken. That's right. I would say for sure, you know, during different periods of time, um, you know, and I will say too that the taxi industry has always been kind of part of the immigrant story. Um, we do have people from all over the world, but right now the majority of drivers, if I was to, uh, you know, if I was to guess, it would be South Asian mm-hmm. um, drivers that, that that are the majority of the drivers now. And that shifts over time, I'm presuming, like all industries. It, it does. It absolutely does. You know, um, yeah. So whether for a long time it, we, we saw an influx of, of African drivers, um, mainly from Nigeria or Ghana. And before that, it might have been, you know, there were Greek and Italian drivers that came in waves. And prior to that, you know, there were a lot of members of the Jewish community who, who participated. So it's really just, you know, and, and you know, obviously we have uh, East Asian drivers and, and people from everywhere. But that's what we've seen sort of come in the different waves over time. It's a story before of my city. Time, mostly. Yeah, it's yeah, a story it of the city. Yeah. Here's a goofy question. Where do taxis fill up with gas? Is it is it my local gas station or do they go some secret place? It's the same place that you go. So, <laughs> yeah, your prices are their prices. And, yeah, so they're looking for, you know, they'll know which ones are the cheapest in the city and they'll try to, to stay uh, close to those when they need to fill up. But, no, taxi, we do not have a gas station. And I think, again, that's that's a misconception about about what we do. We don't own in the, any of the taxis. We don't have a garage for repairs. Um, you know, we don't have gas station. And, and I was going to ask you about car maintenance. So you don't have your own garage. Is that handled? I, I guess there's certain mechanics that have got a reputation for being specialists for cabs. But basically, right. the drivers who own their cars, they take it wherever they want. They can take it wherever they want. So we do inspections of the vehicles here uh, to make sure everything, you know, looks the way it should. But when it comes to mechanical or safety inspection, those are done every six months. Uh, and those records are submitted to the city of Toronto who requires those safety certificates to be mm-hmm. submitted when they get them done. Well, maybe this isn't really a good question for you as you're not the owner, but what's the pressure for these drivers to go electric? And I mean, maybe it's environmental or political pressure, or maybe it's business or economic pressure, you know, it's cheaper to fill up with electricity. Would driving an electric taxi cab be a competitive advantage? And where's that all moving? So we saw that when hybrid vehicles were introduced, certainly um, organically drivers just started to, uh, to purchase those vehicles. And, and those who did have those fleet garages recognized that people who were going to rent their vehicles were looking for hybrid cars. So we started to see that in the city as well. Uh, applied restrictions on taxi cabs. So they had to be lightweight vehicles. They had to be, you know, hybrid. They since have taken all of those environmental restrictions away, which is, un, you know, just beyond confusing. I think our mayor called uh, a climate crisis and the next day we had no environmental restrictions on taxi cabs or Uber and Lyft vehicles. So a, a pickup truck can be out there. But I have just heard from a, from someone who I know well, a driver who's just purchased a Tesla, and his his plan is to, you know, it's going to be a Beck taxi. So we'll see how that goes. I'm not sure what the insurance implications are. Again, we are heavily regulated. There's a lot of red tape. But um, you know, I think the same way you decide to buy a car, you know, you want a reliable vehicle that uh, doesn't have huge 
costs for maintenance and that you'll be able to access parts for, that you'll be able to access maintenance for, and, and gas right now especially is such a huge uh, concern and such a huge challenge that, yeah, so we'll see our first Tesla soon. Sounds well, like. I, I'd love to be picked up in a Tesla. I think that's right? interesting. Okay, we'll see what happens. <laughs> I know. Christine, I'm guessing the lost and found storage room for Beck Taxi must be like the size of a, a football field. What are some of the weirdest items left behind in Beck Taxis? And what do you do with all that stuff? So we're actually not allowed to take lost articles here at the office. So Toronto Police has uh, let us know. And this is years ago. We used to have a cell phone graveyard. That's what we called it. It just was, you know, come on in. Here's the box, (laughs) you know. And this is before everyone had multiple different types of chargers. And so this is, you know, we're talking about Motorola cell phones and what have you. But, you know, we've had everything from dentures to, (laughs) you know, weapons to um, all kinds. Anything you can imagine has been left in a taxi. There's literally no limit to our market for lost lost items. And and there have been some jaw-dropping moments. But. We do not take lost articles here in the office. So if the driver doesn't return it to uh, to the to the person who's lost it, it goes to Toronto Police, or depending on what it is, it gets thrown in a mailbox. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. So it's left yeah. with the driver to kind of handle. That's right. They are expected to check the vehicle at the end of every trip. This is another municipal bylaw. They are expected to check the vehicle after every trip and return anything immediately that they find. I got two etiquette questions for customers. You can edu- you can spread the word. How is tipping handled? What is the current state of driver tipping? So everyone wants to tip. In fact, we have a twenty percent. So in our in our app, for example, uh, we have default tip settings. So you can set your default tip, and you know twenty percent is the highest option. Mm-hmm. And we have people now sending us messages all the time. How do I tip more? How do I tip more? Um, so we are, you know, seeing, you know, there's no lack of tipping in a taxi. I mean, if someone's going to pay the fare, they're going to tip. That's generally the rule. So we have seen during the pandemic, especially we've had a lot of challenges with people because unlike, uh, Uber or Lyft, for example, you know, where they only are picking people up with cell phones and credit cards, and what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, taxi drivers are picking people up who, you know, might say they're paying cash and then don't pay at all. And it's, it's been challenging for them during this time because everyone is, is, is experiencing difficulties and, you know, it's just compounded when other people are, are struggling. Taxi drivers will likely struggle even more when they provide a service and don't get paid. I assume because we're kind of been pushed ahead into cashless society because of COVID that that's getting a little better because there is less cash or are you seeing people still do want to pay with cash and these problems still exist? People still do want to pay with with cash or even if they tell the driver that they're going to use a credit card, the expectation is that they're going to use his debit or credit card machine if they're not using the app. Um, And again, if someone jumps out of the car and runs, I mean, our advice is, you know, $7 or $8 is not worth your life. It's not worth your safety. Um, my dad was a taxi driver too. He'd come home, you know, with people's stuff after he chased them when they jump out of his cab. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Someone trying to jump over a fence and he pulled off one of their running shoes and brought it home like a trophy. <laughs> like, 
you know, this is not the way things work now. And, and, you know, we would absolutely just always, always tell drivers their safety comes first and please just stay safe. And they are allowed to ask for, for, um, fare up front. $25 is, you know, they can ask for that. Um, but that seems reasonable. Just, just like at the gas station now you, you prepay that. And really, frankly, those people have never been protected appropriately as you have highlighted it's the poor driver or the gas station mm-hmm. attendant is left to uh, chase these people down. And even though to you and I, it seems common sense, it's not worth risking to do it. These people quite often, the money's taken out of their pay. So it, it right. is more than just casually saying, I'm going to let it go. Right. Another customer etiquette question for you. Uh, should I not be bringing my goat curry into your cab? I mean, you've said again, we've talked about the customer is king, but how do you stop people transporting things that maybe you shouldn't be bringing openly into a cab at that exact moment. Finish your lunch before you jump in the cab. That's right. Bring it in the cab. Don't eat it in the cab. There we (laughs) go. Yeah. And I think that, you know, obviously right now we have the advantage uh, of, of, you know, you have to keep your mask on in a taxi um, for now. And so I, I don't think, and I do actually think that the pandemic has really changed that people really aren't, you know, eating, in a taxi as much as they would have before. Like it actually is kind of an interesting outcome, but I don't think drivers face that as much anymore, but yeah, please don't eat in the taxi. You know, it's, it's terrible. Here's our news. I like that. That's the slogan. Bring it in the cab. Don't eat it in the cab. (laughs) That's right. Christine packages versus food versus people. What's the mix of what a Beck taxi driver is actually transporting these days? Definitely the majority of the time they're transporting people. Um, we have been delivering parcels and food since Jim Beck started this company in 1967. So it is something that we do and it's a, it's a regular uh, occurrence, but definitely the majority are people and the most precious cargo. Yes. I'm not sure you can uh, come up with a number one for this question, but what's the weirdest item a taxi, a Beck taxi has transported and maybe there's some weird calls into Beck dispatch that jump into your mind. Um, you know, people will ask us to transport things. Will you take my snake? No. <laughs> oh, no, no snakes. You know, no, no. So we, you know, we get requests for, for interesting things. You know what? Generally, it's, it's, it's not as wild as, as you might imagine. I think it was years ago. It was more. But now things are pretty pretty run of the mill. We don't have, we don't have too many, you know, kind of crazy requests, but you know, the, the one thing that I, that I still will never understand is that people just want to cram, you know, six passengers in a sedan. Mm. And, you know, obviously the the number of seatbelts is the number of people. So Mm. that's, that's something I think is, is a good tip. That's, that's a, that's a very straightforward rule of thumb. Number of seatbelts, number of passengers. Yeah. And nobody rides in the trunk. (laughs) (laughs) I, I didn't think you'd had to say that, but I guess <laughs> yeah. if you had to say no snakes, you probably had to say nobody rides in the trunk. That's right. Christine, it's time for family questions. Whenever I tell my family that I got an interesting guest coming up, they always have the best questions. My 15-year-old Natalie asks, who was the most famous person Beck has transported? And by the way, she hopes the answer is either Drake, Travis Scott, or a boogie with the hoodie. <laughs> if, you can, if you're comfortable dropping names, who's been in a Beck taxi? Well, we've had a lot of actors and, and, but mostly Canadian, to be honest. Um, 
So we're excited about that. But I, I guess my mom, if you ask my mom, she's still Pierre Trudeau, I think was her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she'd still say that he was the most famous person. But definitely we've had over the years, um, you know, whether it's actors or uh, certainly sports figures who, who get into taxis. That's the, that's the beauty of a taxi. Anyone could just pop in your backseat. You never know who it is. And very often, again, it's that, you know, celebrities are walking down the street too. And it's like, all right, I don't want to walk anymore. There's a cab right there. I'm hopping in. And, and, you know, they may be wearing that hooded shirt or they may be sort of riding in secret, but, but, um, you know, there were a lot of times that drivers would have their credit card slips before the debit machines were introduced. This is many, many years ago, but they'd have autographs. Everybody would get an autograph. Oh, some yeah, things yeah. was in their cab. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a regular occurrence for sure. That's funny. That's the earliest version of autograph collection was your uh, taxi chit signature. That's right. That's right. <laughs> As you say, celebrities are people too. They have to ride. That's right. My baby sister Paula is a huge fan of shooting movies and TV in Toronto. Christine, you've kind of alluded to this already. She asks if your Beck fleet has ever been used specifically as part of local TV or movie productions. You've talked a little about they happen to be driving by, but have you ever been engaged specifically for a job? All the time, actually, all the time. For everything from music videos to TV shows to movies, um, commercials, all of it. So we get those requests quite regularly. I'd say probably the most famous show, and it was you know during its height of popularity, um, The Handmaid's Tale. Oh yeah, was yeah a show that they were filming here and, and wanted taxis uh, involved in. But it's it's actually all the time. It's really really all the time. Do you uh, do, do they ask you to cover up? I don't know how they could. These are so iconic, orange and green. Do they ask you to cover up your branding to be like a New, a New York City cab, or do they just say yeah? No, yeah. So it's um it's it's always they're looking for the branding. And so the a lot of it has to do with you know, we don't have to arrange the taxis. They've already got them in the shot and they want our permission to, to use it. Right. So, um, which of course we hand over without a doubt, but um, Jay, you know, we've had some regulars on, on different shows like Jason Priestley's show. And I can't even believe my brain is not working right now um, in terms of the name, but I got to watch it filmed. So Mm -hmm. here I'm watching, you know, 90210. I mean, come on, Jason Priestley was on the set. And I went over because I had, they needed 10 taxis. So I had arranged the 10 drivers, people I knew. So I got them ready on the set and I got to see Jason Priestley from. <laughs> and in one episode, he pretended to be a taxi driver. So he was driving around in the best taxi. Um, but yeah, it's it's very cool. It's very that's, cool to see that. That's a good one. I, I mm-hmm. want to ask you, uh, what's the status of these? Uh, at one time, I started to see digital uh, ads on top of taxis. Is that something that's still out there? Or what's the status of that? Yeah, it is something that's still out there. You won't see it on a Beck taxi because our branding is what we're trying to advertise on the vehicles. And I'd say um, definitely that the real estate uh, on and around a taxi is is quite expensive. And we want to make sure that it's only attracting people to our brand. Sometimes we've lent um back taxis to charity so we had movember mustaches one year or um you know for for things like that but the idea that a taxi would have an advertisement for a personal injury lawyer on the roof just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me uh and we find that it just takes away from our branding and, and so you'll see some taxis in toronto with those but not not a back taxi 
my wife Vicky and I are both geezers, and un- unfortunately, Christine, I think you've revealed yourself. You might be closer to a geezer than not, because I was going <laughs> to ask you if you were old enough to have enjoyed the smash sitcom Taxi. So this has <laughs> sounds like you already know five seasons, nineteen seventy eight to nineteen eighty three. It focused on a fictitious New York City taxi company, the Sunshine Cab Company, and this was uh, Danny DeVito's breakout role. He was Louis De Palma. He was the main antagonist. As the head dispatcher of this company, he would spend his time holding court from his caged-in dispatch office at the garage, and he would argue and bully and belittle the drivers. He not only lacked morals, but he was openly proud of his uh, lack of morals. Uh, Did you enjoy that show? And is there any uh, (laughs) parallel? It sounds like in the old days, that is the way it was. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think they based that show. So I'll be very honest, I have never seen it. So I've only heard about it uh, and have an idea only because I know what it was like in this industry. And this is, you know, um, I think more so maybe in the United States and Canada or or Beck Taxi. But um, yeah, the grumpy dispatcher who, you know, probably took a couple bottles of booze around Christmas time and, you know, had his favorites and all of that. Um, my mom actually, there was a, there was a TV show that was created a mini series about a woman who headed a taxi company, who was the head of this, this, this company. And I think it was set in Toronto, but there was, you know, the swearing and the, you know, the rough and, you know, whatever, rough around the edges behavior. And they sort of said it was loosely based on my mom, which couldn't have been farther from the truth. She is, you know, just the most, um, sort of lovely and professional and, and not not that person at all, but it's what everyone thinks a taxi company is. And I'm sure it's quite accurate, you know, up to a couple of decades ago. Well, when you're when you're not busy driving to the next soccer practice, I know you're gonna hit the YouTube now. Danny DeVito I as I might have to. As Louis De Palma. Yeah, you're gonna enjoy it. Last family question, my brother-in-law, Evan, he absolutely loves the movie Collateral Damage, which if you're if you're if you're familiar Jamie Foxx is a taxi driver and he has to drive the contract killer Tom Cruise from hit to hit. What do you recommend a Beck taxi driver do if faced with a similar situation? Well, I I would say get away from the car as soon as you can. (laughs) Just get out of the car and walk away. And that has been actually, um, you know, advice that I think has saved a lot of drivers. You know, when someone's in the backseat and things don't feel right, and, you know, you know that you're in danger and, and very much you trust your gut, but they open the door, like put the car in park, open the door, walk away. Christine, there's a lot of issues, as you've alluded to. Uh, certainly the, the top ones are insurance premiums rising, the influx of ride hailing cabs, Uber and Lyft, and of course, the, the devastating effects of COVID. But one thing that just came up I wanted your comment on was that uh, New York City just last month added all taxi drivers to the Uber system. And I'll read this to you, if I may. Uber has reached a deal to include New York City taxi cabs on its app, a move that will help to boost driver availability for passengers and open up a new set of customers for cab drivers. Uber, hit by driver shortages and a surge in food delivery requests during the pandemic, will list all New York City taxi cabs on its app, a partnership that until recently would have been unthinkable with both camps fighting ferociously for the same customers. Is this a positive move? And, and would you welcome this type of move in Toronto? 
So there are a couple of things. In New York City, taxi cabs are not dispatched, right? So there are no dispatch companies the way there are in Toronto when it comes to New York City cabs. Um, they were not allowed to be dispatched, which really put them at a huge disadvantage, right? You always had to hail a yellow cab. Mm. Um, I would say that it's not actually taxi companies that are, are partnering, it's other software companies. So for example, in Toronto, some companies use third parties, companies that just make dispatch software and has been licensed by a company like Beck. We chose to build our own software it's those third-party software companies that are now partnering with Uber. So I don't know, in fact, if taxi companies are even involved in this decision-making pro process. And I mm. actually, what I think it does is sort of replace them altogether. The taxi company becomes a third party when there's software and a taxi. I'm not really sure what a taxi company does. And that's one of the reasons why we built our own software to avoid that from happening. Um, I will say in Toronto, when Uber arrived, there was no need for more drivers. They had to put taxis on their app. So at first, when Uber arrived, they only dispatched taxis. Then they took that client list from those taxi drivers and put all of those people into private cars. Mm. So I, I do think that it was the most heinous, <laughs> horrible, oh, it's just going to get you some more, some more business. So now drivers who were paying, you know, who were getting paid by customers were paying Uber 30% of their fares mm. only to turn around and find out that they were telling people, well, don't take taxis anymore. Here we've got this new other service. Um, so it, 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 it's a company mm. that is notorious for horrible behavior. And I'd say that I would never get into partnership with them in any way. Um, and I don't see it as an advantage for taxi drivers because we've been there before. They presented themselves as, as a, oh, we're just going to supplement your income. You'll just mm -hmm. get a few more rides. And one day, there were no taxis on the app anymore, and it was just UberX or private vehicles, and taxi mm -hmm. drivers handed over those clients. Well, I, I do want to, as we get closer to closing, I do want to get your take on what Toronto's taxi industry will be like in 2022 and going forward. And you can talk a little also about if I understood you right, you're regulated both municipally and provincially. What does Christine and, and Beck want to see going forward? I would like to see any kind of collaboration between our city, our regulators, you know, our province when it comes to this insurance issue. You know, minor changes could make all the difference for people being able to, uh, you know, to to make a living. And I think that our city has has made some horrible decisions. And, and I don't even just mean, uh, you know, I'm not wearing my taxi hat all the time when I'm talking about what makes sense in our city. You know, again, um, electrifying a fleet, you know, making sure that environmental restrictions are, are placed back on this industry. Because I do see, um, I do see the need. I, I live here. My kids live here. We, they walk to school or you know, they're on their bikes, you know, training how important it is for, for drivers to be trained. I think, I think actually what we're seeing is the need to go back to when regulation was introduced in the first place, simplified, um, what makes sense for drivers, how can they make a living, what's best for people who live in this city and, and, and the safest, obviously we're facing a road safety crisis as well. Um, you know, I, taxis, I believe are evergreen. And I think that if we continue to 
put our best foot forward and offer a, a good, meaningful, professional, courteous, well-informed service, that that's not going to stop. We're the ones who show up when the subway is down. We're the ones who show up when the snowstorms uh, hit. And I think as long as drivers are happy, and, and that's got to be a priority for us, happy drivers make happy customers, and they have to be able to make a living. And my work is is so much distracted by a regulatory body that I just frankly don't think is qualified to um, regulate this industry. So I'm hoping to see something better. Um, but in the meantime, we'll just continue to compete and we'll continue to stay here. And hopefully our fleet will go back to, to what it was and drivers can make money and everybody's happy. Well, as you know, collaboration really is the key to everything right. in life. That's right. And there is none, there is none. So it's just a very disappointing, I learned that lesson. I think it was about 2011 as well. And the city was going to do a review of our industry. And I had all these big ideas. Imagine what we could do if we worked together. Imagine how great this service could be. Um, you know, how beneficial it could be to the people who live here and, and work in this business. But it's just been, they took a sledgehammer to that idea. And it's just been a disaster before and since. And so all I can hope for is that things will change. But knowing that they likely won't, we'll just keep succeeding in spite of our city. You got to keep doing what you're best at. That's right. Let's close off with some Christine Hubbard questions. What is your most interesting interaction you have had with someone famous? And this is the lifetime category. So it's not just for your taxi life, but in your regular non-work life. What's been your most interesting interaction with someone famous? I've not had many interactions with famous people, to be honest. I, you know, I, I'm not, uh, I'm not out and about as, as, as much as people might imagine. Um, probably meeting some of the Raptors was, you know, that was my biggest highlight. You know, Dwayne Casey was coaching um, Masai Ujiri. That's probably, you know, I, I got to meet him and take a photo and I was one of a million people who were there. Just what? Um, oh, you, you went know, to the parade. I, I, well, I went to the, um, they have a charitable event that they host every year. And so I was um, lucky enough, Nav Batia, the super fan, like yes. I honestly, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm a local hero kind of person. I, I like, I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm not really celebrity driven to be honest, but I, I do like our, our local heroes the most, I think. Well, we can certainly, we got hope, hope springs eternal for our Raptors. So that's right. That's do. right. And the Leafs. Go Leafs. Uh, well, 55 <laughs> years. Don't get me riled up. Christine, what are, your two, what are your two favorite things to do in Toronto? It can be somewhere to eat. It can be a place to go. And I want one of these two things to be more of a hidden gem. So where, where do you like to eat? What do you like to do in Toronto? Um, I, I, so I like to do what my husband and I did last night. We didn't really have plans to go out. We had carpools arranged for kids for soccer. You know, it was a Tuesday night and we ended up at a restaurant in the distillery and it was, you know, unplanned and ended up just being absolutely lovely. We had great food at a restaurant called Clooney. It's a okay. restaurant there, but I, you know, we don't go out a whole lot. And I'd say, you know, in Toronto, I'd just love to go on walks in my neighborhood. Yeah, I like to walk my dogs. I like to walk along, you know, there's a stretch of Bayview Avenue that's that's pretty close to where I live. That it's just I just like to stroll. I like to go to other cities and stroll too. What are your what are your favorite cities outside of Toronto to visit? I'd say uh Halifax 
um, Boston. I love New York. Um, you know, I love home the most, I'd say. I like to go up north um, as well. I like, you know, the Muskoka area and Huntsville and Bracebridge. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a big traveler. I've not really traveled Europe at all. I've not, I've not really been to many places. But, um, yeah, I do love our city. I love living here. I love being in the city. I love being in any city, actually. Well, you and me, and that's why it's been great to have you on because you are so Toronto focused. Christine, what are your plans for the remainder of this year and beyond? What is Beck Taxi working on? Uh, we're working on new features for our app. We're just working on actually getting back. So I think this year is really, you know, we when we lost those vehicles and, you know, drivers were parked, certainly we were not charging them anything. They weren't working. And for the people who were working, how could we charge them full price? Um, for our service, we wanted them to be able to be okay and taking an unknown amount of risk. So we reduced our fees by 50% throughout mm. the pandemic. And then of course, with the hundreds and hundreds that were parked, there were no fees there. So we um, are just trying to, you know, no one was making money. <laughs> Anyone who became a millionaire during the pandemic, I, I don't know, you know, how, how anyone could justify that, but any, any uh, assistance that we got in terms of government grants or whatever were passed directly to, to our fleet to try to make sure that they were going to be okay. So I think, um, you know, work-wise, my, my hope is that we can just come back to making sure that everybody's doing well, introduce new features in our app, get ourselves, you know, back to where we want to be. And, And personally, I just, I think, you know, my, my, I had a new year's resolution to, to manage my responses to things, to not fly off the handle when someone does something, you know, so bad that it makes me just want to go crazy. And I do, I would, I would direct that to our city. It's when I see these messages or I talk to people there, I want to, I want to remove myself from that whole area. I don't want to go to city hall. I don't want to speak to them anymore. Um, and I just, you know, I just want to make sure my kids are okay. I want to make sure that this pandemic has, has, you know, not changed them in a way that is, you know, that is negative. And I, I, I just want to spend more time with my family and, and, and my dogs and my house. <laughs> well, those, those are great things. You know, it's been such a time for introspection. And I sometimes worry that my own kid is tired of hearing me say, you know, just around the corner. But I, I really believe in this theme of onwards and upwards. Right. I agree. Christina, it was really great having you. Thank you for your time. Where can we best follow you and Beck Taxi and know what you are up to? So Beck Taxi and I are on Twitter. Um, That's about the only place that I, you know, and I, I will try to excuse my, hopefully you'll excuse my complaints on there, but as much as we're competing, we are complaining. Um, But uh, that's where you'll see me most. I don't have Facebook. I'm not really, um, on social media too much, but um, that's where you'll find me. And of course, we all should download the Beck app. Please do on uh, the iTunes store and, and Google Play, uh, the App Store, pardon me, and Google Play. And, and it's a great app and, you know, that has all of the functionality you want. Drivers get paid all of the money that you spend. Um, there's no fee that is taken from that at all. Like, and, and, you know, people are still not sure about pricing. You'll find that taxis are often cheaper than any other option. So um, they're out there and these are, you know, people who are raising their families and working hard and small business owners. And, you know, especially during the pandemic, some of our most vulnerable 
Um, so, you know, we need to show them some love and get them back to knowing how, how important they are to, to keeping the city moving. Fabulous. Thank you, Christine. Thanks again for your time. And thank to you the so list- much. Thank you. And to the listeners, thanks for listening to this episode of the Toronto Legends podcast. On behalf of Christine Hubbard, I am Andrew Applebaum saying mahalo. out of this life and optimize your personal wellness then check out the natural man podcast join me host mike c as we explore all areas of human wellness physical mental and emotional learn strategies to optimize your own well-being and be in the driver's seat of your own health remember your doctor works for you learn biohacks neurohacks ways to improve sleep and ways to optimize your body and your mind. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, the Fountain app, and at naturalmanpodcast.com. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks, Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice in the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Crier Media Network.